0: Hey, everybody. I'm really excited that you're here with us today. I know the worship for you has been fantastic so far, but friends, I'm really excited about our communicator today. I've known this young man since he was a wee baby. He's provided me with two amazing grandchildren. His name is Garrett Huxford, and he's my youngest son. You know, Garrett served as a missionary in South America for a while, then he moved here to Savannah, and he's the youth pastor at Islands Christian Church. Garrett is excited today because he's gonna be preaching on a life-changing passage of scripture from Romans chapter 12. Friends, what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, the last half of that chapter, literally revolutionized relationships and the impact of the church in the first century, and it'll happen in our century as well. So let's give Garrett a warm, compassionate Christian welcome as he comes to open the Word of God for us. You know that moment in the movie theater where the power goes out, and the one guy keeps eating popcorn. That's what that felt like right there. So uh, it's okay. He's probably just making stuff up, anyway. So I thought the video was still going. I was like, "Oh man, they played it again." All right, I have officially reached that point in my uh, in my fatherhood ship, whatever you call it, my being a dad, where. Everything I ever say is promptly followed by the words why. And you know, I did say words because it's not just one why. It's put your shoes on. Why? 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 Why do we got to put our shoes on every time? And I'm like, I don't know, we're just we're going. And I, and I realized something. You know how people say like the Bible's just a book of rules, you know? It's like, oh, it's just a book of You know why they say that? Because that's what we would write if we wrote the Bible. It would just be a book book of rules, right? Because whenever I think, okay, why are you asking why? Why don't you just do what I told you to do the moment I told you to do it? That's what I want to hear. And uh, that's not what God does. God doesn't, when he tells us to do something, he doesn't get all upset when we go, why? Why should we do that? Because God has always started with the why, He's always glad to share with us the why. He's glad to tell us, hey, you know what, I've done a lot for you, I've done a lot with you. In the moment you start asking the question why, God starts saying, hey, that's a guy I can work with right there. Because the reason I say this is because we've gotten to the point in the book of Romans where where the the Apostle Paul is, is done talking doctrine, he's now talking rules, He's going to give us a lot of rules. He's going to ask us to live a specific way. He's going to ask us to do certain things. And it's important that we understand that everything the Apostle Paul says in, our, in, in, the book, uh, in Romans chapter 12 is followed by a giant why. He's told us why for the entire book of Romans. And I want you to understand this. I, want, I have an analogy I want us to work with this uh, throughout this uh, I want, to, I want to tell you that the gospel is like a well. Once you go, when you draw water from the well, you can then guard, water your garden. You know what I mean? And, and if you want to continue to water your garden, you must continue to draw water from the well. And the more you go to the well, the more you can water your garden. But if you ever skip the part of going to the well, if you ever skip that part, you will be walking around with an empty bucket, not able to do anything of any importance. And so we're going to have a a bunch of rules we're going to read tonight, but I want you to understand that it is predicated on the gospel that Paul has been telling us over the last 12 chapters, what we've been going through as a church for the last 10 weeks. And so here it is, Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. uh, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you hear that, if you hear that list of rules, and you think to yourself, who in their right mind would ever sign up for that? Why on earth would I ever do that? Why would I ever serve my enemy? Why would I ever miss an opportunity to get that perfect revenge? You know that feeling of revenge where you say the right thing at the right moment, you know what I mean? Or your, your enemy just, you know, walks into a glass door or something like that. Why would you ever, why would you ever miss that opportunity? And the, real, and the reality is that if you're asking that question, you're ahead of the game. Because before you start following rules like that, we should all understand that there's a reason behind them. And there are reasons like, uh, yeah, they'll make the world a better place and stuff like that, but that doesn't really help you, right? There's a reason that that there's there's this gospel, there's this well of love and grace that we're drawing from, and that is where we are coming from. So what I want us to do and I don't know if this has been a recurring thing throughout the series, but I want us to remind ourselves that the Book of Romans is is a book that was written at one time, and it was meant for people to have heard it in one sitting. It was meant to be read out loud as the sermon of the day, and you would hear it in one sitting. And now here's the problem: um, we don't have, we can't do that anymore. We can't, we can't go through a whole book of Romans in one sitting because it's a translation from another language. It's 2000, separate, 2,000 years separated from us. Um, there's all sorts of ways of talking. There's ideas that are foreign to us, and we have to have someone stop for a moment and tell us, hey, now listen to this. You've got you to gotta clarify this for a second. But it, you need to understand that this section of Scripture did not come. It's not just sitting on a coffee mug somewhere. It's not a meme, and it's not a Facebook post. It's found in a specific context, and I know that because of this word, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to give us that whole laundry list of things that God wants from us. And he says, That, what we just read, that whole list of things, that is worship. That is a response to God's mercy. That is coming from an inspiration from the gospel. And here's what we need to know. The word therefore is a powerful word. Go go back, uh, it doesn't matter. The the word therefore is a powerful English word. It's like the phrase, in conclusion. It tells you things are going on. It tells you, all right, at this moment, you need to pay attention, otherwise you're going to miss something important. And this therefore, this therefore right here, is not just any therefore. It's the therefore of the entire book of Romans. It's the moment where the entire book of Romans shifts into a new part of the book. It goes from Paul talking about the essence of what it means to be a Christian to now he's going to talk about what Christians do. It's the, it, he's going to go from the idea of being a Christian to doing what Christians do. He's going to leave the topic of doctrine. and He's going to talk to us about what we should do in response to the gospel. And here's a simple rule for, for reading the Bible. Every time you see the word, therefore... You should always ask yourself, what is it there for? What is it there for? Why is he saying that? And in this section of the Bible, it's it's there to remind us that everything the Apostle Paul said up until this point influences what he's about to say. So where did he come from? Where are we coming from? And and this is why it's important to read a book of, a section of the scripture in context. Because I reread the entire book of Romans for you guys. You're welcome everybody. I I read it. and, And what I realized was, though there is this one laundry list of characteristics that God wants us to all do. And wants us to be a part of this. That's not the only laundry list of characteristics in the book of Romans. It's not the only time that the Apostle Paul describes an entire group of people. He also does it in Romans chapter 1. Now, I did the math. Okay, I counted. But that's a form of math, okay? Now, I did the math. <laughs> it's still better than Congress. Okay, I did the math, and I, I counted, and I realized that the last time y'all talked about chapter 1 was eight weeks ago. So who remember there's a laundry list, a way of God Paul described people in chapter 1? All right, so let's go back. You ready to hear it? You want to hear how he described people in chapter 1? You want to hear? Let's see it. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their debased mind to do what ought not be done. Now, this is important. Because what the Apostle Paul just said was a whole bunch of things that ought to be done. He just told us what should be done. And in this list, he's telling us what ought not be done. Be done. Next verse. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, maliciousness. They are gossips. Ooh, who whoa, who was expecting that list that word to be in the list? Gossips, uh-oh. Alright, okay, let's keep going. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. Uh-oh. <laughs> Guys, got any kids in the room? Didn't know you're on this list and you disobedient to their parents, is here. Um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only did them, but they approve of those who practice them. Wow, that's a much different list. Wouldn't want to be the guy that preached on that one. Okay. Um, now, why do we remind ourselves of this context? Because you need to understand, we need to remember that the Apostle Paul is telling us something about God. That God moves people. He takes them and he moves them to another spot. He does this physically. He does it in the Bible all the time. He moves people around. But he also does it spiritually. That God takes people and he changes them. He takes people and he shapes them. He takes people, malicious and boastful and broken and sinful as they may be. He takes people and he makes them new. He makes them beautiful. And All Sons and Daughters has a song that goes like this. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you are the Savior. Savior. You take broken things aside and make them beautiful. Paul wants us to know in the book of Romans that no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God has a plan for you. God has an utter, he has this utter refusal to leave people where they are. He takes people who are haughty and murderous and boastful and foolish and faithless and heartless, ruthless. He takes these people and he turns them in to people who associate with the lowly. They live in harmony with one another. They're never conceited. They're genuinely loving people. They hate evil. This is what he does. He changes people. But what I find most interesting about these two lists of people is that they don't happen right next to each other. The Apostle Paul did not write down and say, this is what I think about the world. They're boastful and they slander each other and they're awful people. And then he just draws a line down on the paper and goes, and this is what I think about me and my friends. We love each other genuinely. He doesn't, no, no, no. These do not happen right next to each other. These are separated by 11 chapters. 11 chapters of the Apostle Paul going through what's going, uh, going through the gospel one step at a time. You see, when you and I, and he knew, and the reason he did this is for a very important reason. He knew, he knew that if you just tell people, stop being this way and start being this way, it would never work. Right? Because how exactly, if you're a haughty person, how exactly are you supposed to just not be a haughty person? Have you ever tried telling a foolish person to quit being dumb? It didn't go well, did it? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever told a ruthless person to be kind? When we say it like this, we all know immediately that would never work. But for, for many of us, our understandings of what God has called us to do is simply boiled down to stop doing this and start doing this. Now, the Christian life does have a lot of stopping this and starting this in it, but that's not what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says this, when he looks at the culture, he says, you know what these people need? They don't need to just stop doing this and start doing this. They need doctrine, They need to understand the gospel. They need to to understand that God loves them. And he thinks, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to these people who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to explain to these people human nature. And I'm going to explain to these people what God has offered us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins through faith and the redemption from our slavery to sin. He talks about new creations and the Christians' participation in the resurrection. And he talks about the life giving power of the Holy Spirit. And then, finally, he makes it to the second list of people. Where he says, therefore, live this way. Do this. And how do we do it? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the, by the mercies of God, do not act like this group of people, but rather act like this group of people, not by your sheer willpower, but by the renewal of your mind. I love this, I love this verse from verse 8, verses 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. He says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And in fact, the Spirit dwells in you. You are living a fundamentally different life. You are living a fundamentally different life. You're not living in the flesh like everyone around you. You're living in the Spirit of God. God is giving you a different life. So now, let's live a different life. Let's let our lives actually be different. Because our spiritual lives are actually different. Now that we've gone to the well of Jesus' love, grace, and mercy, now that we've gone to the well, what are we going to do with that bucket of water? Now that we've experienced God's grace, what are we going to do with it? And he starts telling us how Christians ought to live. Now, here's what's fascinating notice how he starts this section of Scripture. He doesn't go after the slanderers. He doesn't go after the people who who display all manner of unrighteousness. But rather, he says this. Let love be genuine. That wasn't even a part of the first list. Right? There wasn't even like a part of the first list where he said they have fake love. Right? That wasn't even in there. That's like a cheating one, right? But here's what's amazing. He doesn't go after the the bad people. He starts talking to the Christians. Those of us who say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, strength, mind, and soul. And the second thing I do is like it. I love my neighbor as myself. That's who he's talking about. Those of us who say we follow God with our whole hearts. Those of us who say we follow God and the love of God is what compels us to do things, that's who the Apostle Paul is talking to. And it's amazing because he does not follow up that list of sins with the statement, you must make your love be genuine. He follows up a list of spiritual gifts that God gives us by saying, now that you have this spiritual gift, like what you talked about last week with Jay Jones, now that you have this spiritual gift, let the love you have be genuine. That word genuine means without hypocrisy. But here's an interesting question. Where do you find fake love? Who would would ever, in in, in their wildest ideas, who would ever have a hypocritical love? Love costs too much money. Love costs too much skin in the game. I remember when I got married, I, I got all my debt down and then I got married and then I, uh, my wife came and we went to uh, Dave Ramsey's, so and my wife came and she goes, hey, I just calculated our net worth, you want to see what it is? And I looked at it and I go, is there supposed to be a minus sign in front of it? She goes, yep. And I go, okay, love is expensive, all right? Love costs you money, all right? Now, uh, my wife has been through three cars. I'm still driving the car I drove in high school, all right? So love costs you money, it's an expensive thing, love, all right? Love's an expensive thing. So who in the world would love hypocritically? It costs too much money to do that. It costs too much effort and energy to do that. To answer that question, you have to understand the human heart and human motivations. One of the scariest things I've learned in the last year or two is... uh, is that history is a bloodbath. I already knew that. We all know that. You read history books, you go, wow, that that actually happened. Yikes. But what was so scary to me is when I realized, I heard an interview with a professor, and he pointed out that the humans who actually lived out human history, they were actually humans. The people who joined the Nazi party in the 1930s, were actually people. They had the same human nature that you and I have and we live with every day. Their hearts had the same motivations that our hearts have. And I found out that when, when all things are created equal, you and I choose what we do, not, not mostly because we're good or better or worse than other people. We, do, we choose the things we choose because the world around us has told us, these are the acceptable things you're allowed to do, and these are the unacceptable things you're not allowed to do. And depending on what circle of people you're in, Your heart and motivation goes, I'm going to do the acceptable things because I want to be accepted. I want to gain advantage. I want to gain prosperity and and, 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 uh, be seen as good in front of all these people. And depending on what circle you're in, that could be good or it could be bad. The reason that Jesus was so harsh to the, the religious leaders of his day... The reason he was so harsh with the Pharisees and the Bible teachers of his day is because he wanted them to understand they're in bigger trouble than they're giving themselves credit for. He never spoke to the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes the way he spoke to the Pharisees. He always, he was so harsh with them. Yeah, 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 they did a lot of good things. But they did it with the wrong heart motivation. And you and I in the Christian church have a similar motivation that the Pharisees did. Because we followed Jesus. And he had this ethic that in his kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. And if that's your ethic, you don't gain prosperity by winning, you gain it by serving. You don't get advanced in the the group by, by pushing others aside, but you get advanced in the group by serving. Which means there's a possibility that you and I could be serving, you and I could be doing all the things God calls us to do for the wrong motivation. So Paul says, let your love be genuine. G.K. Chesterton uh, wrote many books. He's a scholar, he's a theologian, but he also wrote detective novels. He had this one detective who was actually a Catholic priest named Father Brown. And uh, it's a funny idea for uh, mystery novels, but that's what he did. And in one of his books called The Innocence of Father Brown, one of the townies comes up to the priest, Father Brown, and and he starts telling about this new cult that's in town, and everybody's all up in arms about it. They love it, it's super popular, because they claimed that they could cure any physical disease. And Father Brown says, ah, but can it, can it cure the one spiritual disease? The one of thinking that you are quite well. Christians, we are in danger of believing that we are quite well just because of the things we do. Let our love be genuine. Before we ever speak in the lives of other people, let the Bible speak into our lives. Let the Bible influence us. Let God influence us. Let God shape us. Let us go to the gospel. Let's go to the well of the gospel and say, God, let my motivations be pure. Let my love be genuine. Whatever else I do, let that be real because what we need is God. Let's let our love be genuine. Now, we don't have time to go through this whole thing, but I do want to uh, point out something in your bulletin. I boiled down most of the statements in this section into to little, uh, to little snippets. Um, my challenge for you is to pray to God. To say, God, I want you to search me. I want you to inform me what's missing in my life. What's wrong in my life? And then I want you to circle one or two of these things. And then you will say, God, I'm giving you permission to shape my life in this area. Shape my life in this area. Now, I know what you're thinking, no, 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 what we should do is just take all of them in chapter 12, and we will. I will be chapter 12 guy, and I will be the greatest person on earth. That won't work. I know you. Okay, the moment you take a goal that big, you're just not going to do it. You're going to be like, that was great for me to, to do that. I feel better now that I just said it, even though you didn't do anything. So just take one or two. You have a long life following Jesus, guys. That once you get these two down, you can go on to the next ones, okay? Now, I want you to circle two. And I want you to allow God to shape your life. Do you hate your boss? Maybe you need to circle love your enemy. Don't be slothful. Serve the Lord. Some of you have been coming to this church regularly for a year and you're still not serving anywhere. Maybe you need to start serving the Lord. Others of you are thinking, He just got onto people for saying one year. I've been here five years and I don't serve anywhere. Yeah, that's weird. All right? Serve the Lord. Now, I would like to say this. If you have kids, if you have kids and they're in the nursery or they're in the children's or youth ministry and they're being blessed by other people's service, I want to encourage you to think about maybe you should serve in one of the youth ministries. Serve other people's kids. Because that's how community works. Have peace with all. Now, I want want you to see this verse. It says... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now I want to just say for a second, that is about the most common sense, the most realistic verse, uh, rule you will ever read in the entire world. That is a realistic rule. Because God knows it takes two to tango, right? Right? And if, you're not, if, you're going to be, if you want to live at peace, but the other person doesn't want to live at peace, you're not going to live at peace. You know what I mean? Like God understands that. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Because you know what else God knows? It takes two to tango. And the easiest way to keep a fight going on forever is have both people continue fighting forever. Maybe you need to circle peace with all. FF Bruce said this. He said, The best way to get rid of an enemy is to make him your friend. So overcome evil with good. Are you dating someone that you know is bad for you? I want to encourage you to choose do what is honorable. Do what is honorable and break up with the person. And then I want you to set a, 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 an unbreakable date on the calendar, like six months away. I want you to say, until this date, I'm not going to have any other boyfriends or girlfriends. Until this date. And I want you to keep it, because what's going to happen the moment you make that arrangement, you know what's going to happen? You're going to meet the guy or girl that's the greatest person on earth for you. And you're going to be like, oh, please, can I break this? You don't have to say no. You know why? Because you circled, do what is honorable. You can't break that, because that would be unhonorable. Just make the person wait. It's fine. Okay. Being single is okay. All right. Um, if you are a dad, I want to encourage you to circle, abhor evil. Our culture needs dads. Our culture needs us to stand up and say, this is right. This is wrong, and this is going no further. If your children have unfettered access to the Internet, that means the Internet has unfettered access to them. If you are a dad, it is your job to make sure that your family is safe, and that is including the things you allow into your house, TV, movies, Internet. I want you, if you're a dad, to actually think about how you are running your house. There's a dad in our church who has who's put in a who's put an alarm on every tablet, phone, device, everything in his whole house. There's an alarm that goes off at the same time the whole house starts ringing, and on the alarm it says "Turn into dad." And these kids get so embarrassed when other kids see that, and when I see it, I go, "Man, that's awesome," because you know what that is? That is a dad hating evil, and helping his kids. Cling to what is good. We can't go through all of them. But tonight at some point, maybe during the prayer, circle one or circle two and give God permission to change you. Give God permission to shape you. But what we have to remember, we have to keep coming back to is where does the motivation come from to do any of this? Where does, where does the energy or the, the, the will come from to do any of this? And the answer is that word, love. Genuine love. Jesus Christ said this, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There's only one genuine love in the history of the world, and that came from Jesus Christ. God, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us, he gave his son for us, and God who, and and, and Jesus said, even while we were still his enemies, we were still sinners, he died for us because he loved us. And when you're in the presence of love, you know what you find out? That love begets love. Love begets love. And when you spend time going to the well of Jesus' love, you find out that God has an unending pit of love for you. He has an unending reservoir of acceptance for you. He has an unending well full of mercy and love for you. And when you spend time focusing on Jesus Christ, that empowers us to live a new life. If you're not a Christian today, you see this list and you think, that's a fool's errand. Maybe it is. Maybe you shouldn't circle anything, but rather just come to the well. Just come look at the love that God has for you. Come to the grace of Jesus Christ and circle something later. Choose choose something at another, another time. Others of you are Christians. And you're looking at this list, and you're like, man, this hasn't described me for a long time. I I don't know that I can circle anything that I'd be able to do. And that's because you've forgotten about God's love for you. The gospel isn't just an entryway for you to come into Christianity. It is a source that we come back to time and time and time and time again. And if that's you, a Christian, wondering if you're ever going to be accepted by Jesus again, come to the well. Come see the love that Jesus has for you. Come see that there's an unending well of love and acceptance for you. And the more we spend time around the love of Christ, we will find out that God's love will beget love in us. And maybe one day we will have a genuine love. There's a hymn that goes like this Our pleasure and our duty though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty are joined apart no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. Come to the well. See the love of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the new life that you offer us Thank you for the the grace that you've given us to allow us to live a life for you. And I pray that you will give us in this room tonight the ability, the grace, to have a genuine love for you and for each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.